the end of the story. Because it seems that Lent has been going on for more than a year. Because as the poet says, humankind cannot bear very much reality. It is time for us to stop. Just stop and listen. And at least try to see clearly. For here we are in that moment when all seems lost, where all that we hoped and longed for lies dead. And when we know if we are even just a little honest with ourselves, we know that we ourselves have helped to bring this about. We helped bring it about not only then and there, but here and now. Holy Week is when we are urged, invited, even compelled to walk with Jesus, to make ourselves part of Jesus's journey from the joy of Passover with its promise that God will prevail through betrayal and arrest and flogging and taunting and crucifixion and death and the darkness of the grave, the apparent abrogation of that same promise. We are invited, urged, even compelled to the highest degree of empathy that we can possibly muster to feel what Jesus felt, to experience in our bodies what Jesus experienced in his, to enter into his suffering and precisely as Jesus's suffering and not our own. And in so doing, we may by grace be struck anew by gratitude for what it is that God is doing in all that. That it is God and not only Jesus who bears this suffering, that God is always there, that God shows up even when we feel most lost, most abandoned and most alone. But I want to invite us this evening to enter into the passion from a different angle, just for a few moments, as much as we can. I want to invite us this evening to enter into the passion as those who bring it about and who observe it and who put up with it. For it is human sinfulness that betrays Jesus that subjects him to suffering beyond what any human can deserve and that brings Jesus to his death. And even now we are there, but not, I think, primarily as sufferers who experience something like what Jesus suffered. Who is there along with Jesus and the narrator of the events? Who's there? What are they doing? What are they not doing? Who are we in these events? What are we doing? What are we not doing? The Gospel of John looks first at Judas, and it's so easy to despise Judas, the betrayer, the false one, the disciple who deceives them all by his apparent loyalty, only to betray Jesus and everything that Jesus stands for and everything the disciples have been trying to understand and enter into. 
Judas the betrayer, whom Dante puts at the very lowest level of hell, frozen eternally in ice that is as cold as his heart. But why betray? Judas was perhaps frustrated with how Jesus carried out his ministry. Not a, enough resistance to the powers that be, perhaps, are not strong and active and out there enough. Or perhaps not enough insistence that his followers and his disciples be only pure and upstanding and righteous, beyond reproach at every moment. So Judas acts out his disappointment, his frustration, his anger, by betraying Jesus to those who can do him the most harm in the most public and shameful way. Now, I understand Judas just fine. I see myself in him in those times when I have acted out my own sorrow and disappointment and anger by betraying others. And in those times, I know well but also in those times that I work to know less well, I ask, whom have we betrayed and how? We as participants in this world, as Christians, as individuals. And there is Simon Peter, who never seems to get it quite right. He's always going overboard, literally at least once, always overreacting, or underreacting, he strikes off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And Peter seems always so not self-aware. Of course he will go with Jesus to his death. Of course he will stand up and be counted. Of course he will defend Jesus. And he follows Jesus all the way from his arrest to his crucifixion. Of course he does. And along the way, he also denies knowing Jesus, denies following him. He protects himself at the cost of his full self and at the cost of the truth and at the cost of all he has been called to do and all he has committed himself to do. Another sort of betrayal, an abandonment. And on this rock, God will build his church. Oh, and then there are those high officials, the religious ones, the secular ones. But they're only doing their jobs. They're only looking out for the interests they represent. It's their role, their job, to look out for the good of the whole. And they know full well who defines that good. Perhaps they do in a moment-to-moment -moment way, which gives them some power but how they define the common good had better go along with the good of those who have power over them too. Pilate is the most articulate of them in that regard. He's afraid. He knows what consequences are likely from his actions and his inactions. But it's each of them, each of these leaders, these with power and responsibility, it's all of them willing to compromise truth and justice for peace and quiet, willing to look out for their own self-interest to guard their own positions, their own privileges, 
and call it the common good. Yet another sort of betrayal, a kind of betrayal with which we are all too familiar. We with our privilege, with our self-interests, many of which we cannot imagine being able to live without, which we try to convince ourselves and everyone else is part of the common good. And who bears the brunt? But of course, it's not just the high officials. It's ordinary people caught up in a crowd, hungry perhaps for distraction, looking for circuses when what they need is bread, willing to scapegoat if that appears to ease the distress of daily living even just for a moment. In this crowd are some of the same people who, killed, who hailed Jesus as King and Messiah just a few days before. Was that too just another distraction? And what are they working so hard not to see? What are we working so hard not to see? A level of distress around us always, the reality of which we are afraid we cannot bear? Ordinary human misery, our own or others, that we can neither ignore nor rid ourselves of entirely. So distraction, rather than longing for true salvation. Even Jesus's closest followers, the official disciples, the women who followed them, they seem incapable of doing anything to mitigate the injustice of Jesus's suffering, the enormity of Jesus's suffering, the enormity of unnecessary inordinate suffering of all the sorts that surround them on that day, on any day, but on that day embodied in Jesus. They stand by, some close up, some farther away, feeling their own feelings, no doubt, but standing by, passively watching, not even waiting or hoping, just watching. And how often do we find ourselves incapable of mitigating suffering and resisting injustice? Too much to cope with? Oh yes, it generally is. But is that sufficient reason just to stand by, we who follow Jesus? So Jesus dies, not because he wants to, and certainly not because God wants him to, but because this is what people do. Betray, abandon, wield power in our own interests, subject ourselves to power because it serves us and because at the same time, we cannot see our way clear to resist and transform it. This is what people do. Stand and watch from close up, from a distance. Pair off after distractions or create them if they aren't already there. And Jesus dies. Humankind cannot bear very much reality. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way 
and only God can help us now.